Hello and welcome to another episode of Radio Oedipus, the podcast all about the culture of beer. And I'm your host, Danny Walker. Whether you are a new listener or a regular listener to the podcast, I recommend you head over to our website, oedipus.com forward slash radio, to catch up on some of the older episodes and also listen to some of the other content on there, like the DJ mixes that are recorded live from the brewery from our Fresh Beer Friday events. Keep an eye on our website for more fun and information. On to today's show. I was joined by Sandra Nadevane, co-founder of Oedipus, and also Rick Kempen. We're familiar with Rick as he's a beer connoisseur and beer professional well-known in the Netherlands beer scene. We spoke about beer, of course, current trends, hospitality, and also the role of beer in his life. Also on the show, we found out what's in the fridge of another Rick. I test the knowledge of Rick Kempen in the quiz. And all that on today's show of the Radio Oedipus podcast. Today around the table, I'm joined by Sander Nadevane, the co-founder and head brewer of Oedipus. How are you doing today? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I'm okay. I think you deserve maybe a special mention because we've not uh, noted the fact that Sander has come to the studio today on crutches. He had a bit of a cycling accident a few weeks ago, so... Yep. Extra yeah, special yeah. Uh, to have him around the table today. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty mobile, to be honest. I can I can walk. I uh, walk to the brewery a couple of times. I don't really live too far from Central Station, and then from the ferry to the brewery is also it. I can do it, uh, but uh, it's a bit of a hassle. Yeah. And, uh, but I get around, and I'm um, getting a bit better in better condition every day. Doing a lot of exercises. Mm. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's an unfortunate accident, but uh, luckily I'm not scheduled on many brews these days. So uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, and we're all very much uh, used to working from home. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I do now more yeah, than, uh, than than before the accident. Yeah. Well, thank God you can sit on the chair for the next hour or so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Without any uh, problems. Yeah, <laughs> and talk, right. about exactly. talk about beer. Talk about beer. And those uh, dulcet tones you can hear on the microphone is Mr. Rick Kempen. He's also joining us on the show today. A familiar face and a big personality amongst the Netherlands beer scene. Uh, how are you doing today, Rick? Excellent. Good. Just Good. one word. Excellent. Uh, Rick is also a beer ambassador for Beer & Co., the Netherlands specialist beer supplier. Uh, also present at many beer events. You've been a judge on uh, our homebrewer festivals. Yep. Uh, beer professional and, and connoisseur, according to your website. Yeah, I kind of like to call myself that way. Yeah, it's a great title. It's with, good. With, with the special mention that I've uh, made uh, uh, um, my work into a hobby rather than the other way around. Yeah, and well, we, I really want to talk about that because that's very well done, you know. I think uh, many of us want to have that in life, you know, being able to have something you care about that's your passion and have that as your career. Great. Absolutely. Yeah. We already know what beer you have in your fridge because we uh, called you up on one of the <laughs> earlier episodes to find out it's what's in your fridge. Though. So now we're going to uh, find out a little bit more. Uh, you, obviously, previous guests on the show have been from the from the beer world, have maybe been people that are maybe a bit more directly involved with making beer. Uh, you're well known in the industry for drinking beer. Would you say that's fair to say? Absolutely. <laughs> and I try to stay away as far as I can from actually making it. Yeah, good. And how, how many beers would you say you have to drink to get this kind of beer celebrity status? I don't really think it's got anything to do with the quantity of beer you've consumed it's more about how loud mouth you are uh, oh yeah uh, yeah 
Yeah, yeah. All right, great. It does help, though, to try more beers, so it gives you a better perspective to talk about them. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that there are people in the industry who are uh, even bigger celebrities, if you want to put it that way, uh, with less beers consumed. Okay, okay. Fair enough, yeah. I think uh, that is maybe a perfect segue to our first piece on the brew on the on the podcast. Is let's try a beer, eh? Let's uh, do it. We're going to kick off with a beer review. Uh, Rick, if you could help Sander while I'd give a bit of a background on the beer, we've got the Northern Monk Best Bitter here. It's a collaboration. A can each this time. Wow. Uh, yeah, I actually brought a can each because uh, of when I had the guys from Butcher's Tears. We had a, a lager and they were like, actually, these we we uh, had big cans. And they were like, oh, do we not get one each? <laughs> so, uh, okay. Oh, yeah. I learned from uh, learned from mistakes. Yeah. No pint glass for this. Huh? So no pint glasses. Yeah, another criticism. <laughs> 44 uh, CL uh, modern craft can, I would say. Yeah. But a very traditional style of beer. A best bitter by Northern Monk in collabor- brewed in collaboration with Other Half. Other Half is uh, a brewery from New York. Hopped with Ernest and East Kent Goldings. Uh, yeah. Ernest, I think, is a newer uh, British hop variety. Uh, the mm. Kent Goldings are super classical, uh, yeah, one of the most classic hop varieties in the world. I know more than one brewer where I had the conversation with, like, if if you had to choose one hop for the rest of your life that you could brew with, what would it be? But And several brewers answered that with uh, Ken Goldings, because you can do actually kind of a lot with it. You can make a classical IPA. Yeah. You can make uh, Pilsners. You can make Saisons. Uh, mm-hmm. You can make various styles. And and it's a yeah very versatile, yet also very classic, classic hop variety. Mm-hmm. Would you call it like a dual-purpose uh, hop variety? Yeah. Actually, the term, I think, is mostly applied to higher alpha uh, hops that, that have more bittering potential. So, But, yeah, we use it as a bitter hop and I've used it as an aroma hop. So, for me, uh, it would be uh, really a, a multi-purpose, uh, mm. even more than dual, you know? Mm. I'm an old man and I haven't got my reading glasses with me. Do they say anything about the malts they've used? Uh, I did a bit of beer research, but I didn't see anything about the malts. Not again. Uh, I also read up on it. Uh, there is Golden Promise from Fawcett, Thomas Fawcett, Golden Promise, uh, Pale Ale Malt. And there are some lighter uh, crystal varieties, also UK. It's immediately drifting away from the subject, but wouldn't it be uh, advisable for a brewer, if you are so anal on mentioning the hops you've actually used in the brew, to also mention the malts you've used? Mm. You were talking about that a few weeks ago, actually, that you can actually get quite a lot of differentiation from the malts that are used. People totally underestimate the flavor effect that malts, in the end of the day, have on the beer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know too much about it. Yeah, it, it's, I guess, a decision every brewer has to make, what they want to communicate about on their package. And uh, uh, I think Northern Monk, to me, is mostly known about their hop-forward beer, so maybe that's the mm. reason why they uh, mention hops more than they do malts. In the commercial description that I found, I think, connected to this beer, I wasn't sure if it was their website or somewhere else, they do 
speak in bigger detail about the beer, the okay. ingredients, uh, how they came about doing a bitter with uh, two American. breweries actually that are famous for their IPAs and mm. and uh, yeah, uh, contemporary IPAs, mostly uh, hazy uh, New England style. Mm. And this is something really different, although it has uh, quite a haze in it. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. the 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 traditional English bitters are often like crystal clear, often also fine yeah. uh, in the cask. It's a lighter color than I would expect. I would expect it a bit darker, just yeah. comparing it to maybe what I know a, a best bitter to be, seven cask. Did you drink much in the... Uh, uh, from time uh, to home, time, yeah, home, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, from time to time. Mm. Yeah, so appearance maybe a bit hazier than normally. Um, orange color, maybe a bit lighter. Um, definitely some hop aroma, malty, also toasty, bready, malty, malty aroma. I, would I definitely guess. say it's got bigger malt aroma than than it has a hop aroma. Mm. Yeah, the hops are definitely there, and you, you actually, I think, you taste them a bit more than you than you smell them. Uh, whereas already in the in the in the nose in the aroma, this big biscuity, yeah. bready aroma bursts out of the glass, and you don't get disappointed when you actually take your first sip. It's really all about the malts this beer. Yeah. There is also a bit of a herbal... I get like a roasted nose. earthiness a little but, uh, bit. I think the hops express themselves mostly in the end of the flavor where the mm. bitterness is really prominent and uh, lingers on nicely. Mm. Um, and it makes it actually... I, it's pretty dry in the finish as well. Yeah, yeah I think it's so. extremely dry, which is a bit weird for the best bitter, really. That, should be, that could be a bit more sticky, if you wish. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, maybe also, I think, so they haven't, I think, used a lot of darker uh, crystal or caramel malt varieties. And they often bring some some residual sweetness, sweetness and uh, can leave this, this sticky mouthfeel. And I think they, they used relatively little of those. Mm. And yeah, if I had to judge by the color of the beer. Uh, but also, indeed, it's, it's, it's more on the drier side than sweet, I would say. Mm. And definitely uh, bitter, mm. bitter. But uh, I would always um, associate a, a bitter, best bitter, with being completely flat, cask, no uh, carbonation <laughs> at all. And this, but this is a, a little bit of a sparkle to it, shall we say? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I maybe I read the similar description to you, Sander, but I thought that the uh, what's it called? Other half brewing were known for doing quite some lagers. I read they were known for doing maybe hoppier lagers type stuff. So okay. I was wondering maybe that was where the carbonation, the lighter, sweeter flavor may come from, rather than just being all. I wonder why they would collaborate with an American brewery to make a best bitter. Yeah. Either. Yeah, they say something about their shared love for yeah. this uh, this beer style, yeah. uh, which you can imagine because, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think a lot of brewers they they appreciate, uh, mm. yeah, m traditional styles. Although a lot of them are doing modern interpretations of of mm. of, of whatever has been around for mm. who knows how long. Um, but I think every brewer would would appreciate a well executed uh, traditional beer style, and this is a, a bitter uh, mm. from England or the UK. That's definitely very traditional, and there are definitely world famous examples out there that uh, and 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 classics that you can find all over, or more regional 
uh, brood. Uh, That's what it's known for, yeah. the style. It's it's like a, a style that would, um, a lot like the German beer styles, a lot like a beer that would service the local area, let's say. Yeah. Of yeah, course, I, I can imagine that uh, for an English brewery to tease an American brewery to try a style like this again. Yeah. If you go back not too far in, in history, the first brews that American homebrewers started to make were basically replicas of classic European beer styles. Mm. Uh, from there, obviously, they've been pushing envelopes just as far as they could push them. Uh, but it's really nice to see that 30, 40 years down the line, they come back to recreating a classic best bitter. Mm. And I, I can assume, or I would like to assume, that this may be a bit of a side goal uh, on the educational side to show the extreme adventurous American brewers that in the end of the day, brewing a classic, simple, beautiful beer style like this is actually way more an achievement than getting crazy amounts of hop in your beer. Mm. But True. maybe I'm drifting away already. So. No, no, I think it's a fair point. And, uh, how would you consider this? Uh, how do you? How does the, this beer relate? in your opinion, to more classical examples. Have you been to the UK a lot to drink beer? It was actually one of the first countries I went to, uh, uh, and because then uh, lager was already a huge amount of uh, uh, of the market, but the people that I knew and went to pubs with when I was 18, 19, uh, they were actually drinking the more classical beer styles. Right. And it was mainly around Manchester, so you had a lot of mild still there. Mm. Uh, uh, and, and of course, bitters, mm. which for me was a, total slap in the face being grown up on Heineken. Mm. Uh, uh, that was really my first encounter with different flavors in beer than than the classic lagers. Even what was before it that... I discovered Belgian beers or German beers, English beers were the first ones that I that I came across. Oh, yeah? Oh, that's interesting. What what slapped you in the face? Was it the bitterness or was it uh, the malt presence? Or I think in... in in those days, I didn't really think about no. what it actually uh, was to slap me in the face, but okay. the fact it did slap me in the face because it actually had a much more complex, deep and broad uh, flavor palette than I was used to drinking straightforward Dutch Pilsners. Right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember there, any of those uh, breweries from the Manchester Lancashire Boddington's, area? Boddington's. JW Lee's. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And particularly yeah. Boddington's. We actually... Uh, uh, Years later down the line, Beer Co. imported and, and marketed the Bonnington's Pub Ale yeah. uh, in, in the Netherlands. But when I encountered it, uh, Bonnington's was known as a beer that didn't travel. You could find it maybe 20 miles around the Manchester area, but you couldn't find it anywhere else because it was simply wrecked, yeah. unpasteurized, unfiltered, just going straight onto the onto the tap. It didn't really, it had some keg versions, but it was really mainly only cast that you could find. Uh, yeah. And of course, being from from Manchester, the people that I went to bars with, it was either Bonnington's or JW Lee's, and you didn't drink anything else. Yeah. Otherwise, you were just a lager lout and oh, fuck all. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Yeah, great. It's good to hear you talk about it. I lived in Manchester for a bit, and this beer uh, uh, resonates with me a little bit. It says "Made in Yorkshire," which is where I'm from. <laughs> so uh, that's maybe why I brought it to the table. But it's good to get both of your opinion on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last thing to say, I think it's it. it to me, it, it's definitely more bitter, and I, I would consider it, and, and although it has a lot of malt presence, maybe a bit less of the caramel, more the rosy toast. Yeah. Uh, and this bitterness is really uh, pungent. And, mm. uh, it is, and it would not be considered, I suppose, a proper best bitter in, in England, looking to the classical best bitter style, because yeah. it's way too bitter for that, and it is mm. not high enough in, in alcohol. That would be usually the 
yeah. distinction for being a best bidder, then you would be around five, five point five. Yeah. Yeah, is it so? Yeah, it's usually a bit uh, weaker, right? ESB. ESB is even yeah. over that, I would think. Yeah. ESB is quite strong. I thought, always thought bitter to be maybe just under 4%. I yeah, always thought. Four, four and a half, and then the best bitter would be four and a half, five and a half. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure where these. Uh, uh, there are no books about it. No, there are no exactly. rules about yeah. it, but that would generally be, at least as I recall, the perception of uh, uh, being a bitter, best bitter, extra special bitter. I think I. Uh, Read something from Ron Patterson once about boys bitter. Even I'm not sure if that's a regular bitter or even lower starting gravity than uh, 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 ordinary bitter. I'm not boys sure. meaning young, young, like for young lads. Yeah, just well, I'm not sure, but but the smallest one, yeah, like okay. a small beer, table yeah, yeah. beer. Yeah, ah, interesting, isn't yes. it? Um, all right, great. We still got some left, and we also have some other beers on the table. Maybe we'll talk about them in a bit. Uh, so we're going to switch the attention to you now, Rick. I hope that's okay. Uh, all right. So, Rick, we've talked a little bit about um, your beer background, but what do you makes a good beer? Would you say that a beer is a good beer if you want another one? It's <laughs> yeah, as simple yeah, as that. Yeah. Okay. Great. Good answer. Uh, we talk a lot about the quality of beer when we talk about beer. What do you What do you think we mean when we talk about the quality of beer? That's the best question ever. Most people haven't got a clue what you actually mean by quality. Yeah. Quality in itself as a word really only refers to the fact that there are set parameters that you want to be met. That is a quality achievement. Quality in itself is not a good or a bad thing. It doesn't distinguish. It's Mm. simply about what do you want to achieve. Mm. And that is my uh, biggest worry with many brewers these days. They brew great tasting beer were excellent they didn't you should they they don't actually uh, uh, think about what they want to create and realize how they what steps they need to take with what materials to get there mm. um uh, but they go and try which is a great way to go about but if you want to move up a couple of steps and start talking about quality, which means that you actually define for yourself which parameters you want to be met mm. uh, and consistently want to be met, mm. then you reach a whole new uh, level of expertise that is not common knowledge yet for many people. Mm. So that would be what quality means to maybe a brewer perspective. But what, what do you think a consumer would say quality beer is? Because maybe some people might mean like a beer that's not made uh That's the problem. Many people would simply say a good quality beer is a beer that I like to drink, but they don't really realize that there are actually parameters that make it a good beer that you like to drink. Yeah. Uh, uh, we've done a podcast with uh, uh, Roland van der Streek yep. uh, on a little and over beer. Yeah. Talking about this subject, he actually sort of made a special series on quality for for that podcast series that made it really clear that many people don't know what quality is about. (laughs) If you consistently brew a beer that smells like a dead cat, then you actually achieve a quality parameter. Consistency. That you actually want your beer to taste like a dead cat. But if you want that, then you've you've hit the quality totally on the head. Yeah. Yeah, if you as a brewer say, I want my beer not to taste like a dead cat, but actually have a little delicate hop aroma with a clear malt base flavor drying out with a lingering aftertaste, and you brew a best bitter like this time after time, then you have met your quality parameters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quality is it... the most misused word in in language in general, but in the beer world, 
particularly. Yeah, it's thrown around a lot. That's why I thought I'd mention it. Yeah, yeah, and it's a topic that comes up uh, a lot, of course. But I think it was also in that podcast series that uh, uh, I heard somebody say that um, it's actually about the, um, the agreement you have with the consumer. So even not doing something consistently can be disagreement. So I'm going to brew just beer and mm -hmm. it can be, Monday it can be like this, Tuesday it can be like that and can be, and it's the same brand. It's, it's uh, our pill, let's say, and uh, Monday mm -hmm. I brew it with uh, Citra hops, uh, Tuesday with uh, Kent Goldings. And, uh, and the, the, if the consumer understands that and agrees with that, then mm -hmm. that can be a quality in itself. That this inconsistency can be even mm. uh you can you could consider a quality if you all agree to it and i think True. what 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 you're also referring to if you want to take the next step if you want to reach out to an audience then things like consistency can play a role but in essence it, it does come what with what you what your agreement is with your audience that was the interpretation by that particular person and i think yeah. it is your good friend and a uh, 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 global master brewer from heineken willem van waasberg who actually said it and i think it's it a is, great yeah. way to look at it because in the end of the day the quality should echo with the consumer if that meets hers or his expectation of your product but primarily thinking about quality in beer starts with your own expectations and your own uh, uh, um, expected result mm. and if you if you agree with your consumer that it is always a surprise that is in your bottle or can then that's a fair agreement but it has in my opinion nothing to do with quality yeah, right. then you have then you have been signed a blank check to just fuck around and do whatever you want and uh, and everyone loves you for it cool mm. but that's not quality not uh, for me that is yeah yeah uh, no i i that's uh that's a uh, fair point i guess and i think it so it really depends on who you ask a question to and, yeah uh, uh you being the guest on the show i think no but I, I, the reason <laughs> yes, I, yes, yes. the reason i brought it up as well because i think you could speak to other people that have the opinion of uh um quality is maybe knowing where your beer comes from a little bit more so people support craft beer because they say it's quality beer let's say as well so there's it's maybe for to each their own kind of thing this agreement you're talking about with the consumer well that's that's really again a great uh, uh remark because at the end of the day people love craft brewers for actually being hands-on and smallish and approachable and a bit of artists i mean we're here in this friendly in this friendly, don't friendly, forget friendly recognizable yeah. uh, uh, we're here uh, surrounded by arts and by and by many different ways of expressing something that's important to you and uh, in the hope that other people like you for it. But being able to produce something that you have projected out there uh, uh, and actually make that happen, that is actually usually done more by large-scale brewers, if, yeah. we, if we come back to beer, than it is by the artists. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Because those also, yeah, those large scale brewers are able to uh, produce on mass and uh, consistency and that actually all those things. totally focused on consistency. Yeah. It was also one of the, the the most interesting remarks on 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 the other podcast. Uh, can a beer from a big brewery be quality free? Mm. Asking that question basically shows that you haven't got the faintest clue what quality actually is. Mm. Yeah, and if you. Uh, yeah, think about process and control over ingredients. Big brewers, big beer have way more control over the whole process. And they yeah, can deny lots of malt when they come in. And 
of course we do basic checks but we don't dive into it and yeah, mm -hmm. we talk with our mod suppliers but it's not like okay this mod no 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 take it back because uh, there's a uh, uh, 0.01 too much proteins in it or something we mm -hmm. don't analyze that ourselves we trust their their data sheets that, that they uh, mm -hmm. come that they come with but big boys they have big agreements with big maltsters and it's really malted to their specs hops the same thing process mm -hmm. uh, don't even start on it mm -hmm. like uh, how um, sophisticated their equipment is compared to the yeah, rudimentary stuff mm. uh, we use, but still, I think, yeah, um, yeah. Everybody, every brewer has also, and I think beer consumer and every brewer has their own idea about mm. what it's about. And some brewers nowadays really only focus about oxygen pickup, and others really focus about yeast expression, or mm. other folks about the quality of their hops. And there are brewers that really dive into this and and uh, in any topic and and I think that's great and uh, and, mm. and, I, and I encourage that. I couldn't agree with you more. The fun thing is though that that is an uh, is a thing that we've only seen develop in the last two years. Here in the Netherlands, you mean? In, or in let's beer? say let's say Europe. Let's yeah. say Europe because okay. I uh, uh, I definitely don't want to be saying that America is the is the land of milk and honey. Uh, but in terms of uh, thinking about your raw materials, uh, the, in general, American breweries are light years ahead of European craft brewers in terms of measuring that, thinking about the necessity to do checks on your raw materials. Trusting your supplier is great, but um, uh, uh, in, uh, in an ideal world, I would love to trust you mm. Danny, I would love to trust you, Sander, mm. but reality is you will get fucked over. Ooh. Yeah, it Isn't is. That it cynical? Is, <laughs> it, it, it is. It is definitely cynical, but that's what you need to prove a point. In the end of the day, if you don't check your raw materials when they come in, how can you really be sure that your hops meet the promised alpha specs? How can you be sure if you don't check your malts? Um, uh, and I don't want to be digging up dead cows that I've budded myself a couple of years ago, but uh, uh, not doing checks on your uh, uh, malt bags when they come in and not checking if they have been eaten by mouse uh, mice. Uh, uh, it happens. It actually, yeah. it actually happens a lot that people don't do those checks. Mm. And I cannot understand if you are serious about producing beer and trying to please consumers that you don't mm. do those basic checks. Mm. Yeah, big breweries have the uh, manpower and the system and the structure to stay on top of all these things. I'm not saying that like small breweries will you maybe know, miss the whole... You have to be a big brewer for it. I mean, I, I still uh, see vividly uh, Frank Bone from Bone Brewery uh, uh, showing his new setup a couple of years ago. Uh, he built a whole new brew house in, in Lembeek. He actually has a malt silo with a two-way tube system. So mm. if he receives new malt and he, in the end of the day, says it is not meeting my specs, he can immediately fire the second tube, dump it back into the, <laughs> into the, into the truck. Wow. How beautiful is that? That's great. He's built it with the hope to never use it, but he's prepared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> impressive. And not a big brewer. No, no, no. But okay. But a total freak when it comes about controlling the things you can control to make a great product. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All but right, let's lighten up a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that, perfect. We can. Uh, what we can say is, yeah. What I would like to know, Rick, is, do you have like a go-to beer? Is there a particular style or brewery? I am basically uh, um, uh, what you would call in Dutch a beery allesbrander. I, I, I like everything. 
uh, because I'm curious. I'm a curious drinker. I'm always keen to discover what what <laughs> don't I know. Yes, there are some go-to beers. Uh, you can you can you can wake me up any moment for a great uh, Hefeweizen. You can wake me up for a okay. great lager. Yeah. Uh, um, still, I love IPAs. How, how, however much as I uh, have turned away from them uh, in the last couple of years because they all start to look alike and taste alike. Mm. Um, but even so, uh, Orval, you can poke me mm-hmm. in the eye for an Orval any moment mm. of any day of any week. Mm. Was there a particular beer that really like changed your perspective? Maybe when you were growing up or something. I know, like Sandy, you would say that lambic w- or was something that really caught your attention when you were starting out. Yeah, but also IPAs in the beer temple yeah. that really opened uh, my eyes. Yeah, I thought I knew beer, but I had no idea. Yeah, and and, and this this beer style sparked something. Yeah. Uh, sparked a new renewed interest. Yeah, for you, Rick, was there one thing where Vitkap Stimulo? I've never heard yeah. of that. No, it's a it, it's it's a bit of a blonde beer from okay. a really small brewer in Belgium. Um, it was when I joined Beer and Co. After a couple of weeks, I found out that the guys in the warehouse, uh, when the day was done, they would retreat uh, uh, and 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 kick a crate of uh, Witkap uh, uh, Stimulo around and finish that. Yeah. That was there after work day drink. Mm. And when I tried that, uh, that's really when I realized. Wow, there is so much more to beer mm. than I imagined. When I started to work with Beer Co, I was not that passionate about beer, mm. but that beer opened my eyes for the fact that there was so much more around that you could just easily quench like a pills, but it had so much more to offer. Mm. And still, it's a beer that I that I will order whenever I see it somewhere. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah, cool. Well, what, what are some of those other beers that are on heavy rotation in the fridge? There's a beer that is always in my fridge, Heineken 0.0. Oh, really? There is Brouwer's Pils from Albert Heijn in cans. Nice. I just, I think the price quality uh, thing is just beautiful, like like I mentioned to you earlier. Yeah. Uh, and other than that, you know, th- that is probably my top shelf where those two beers are always there. Uh, and the other shelves, uh, yeah, they will vary continuously with whatever I'm sent, whatever I buy. I don't actually buy that much beer because I get sent so many samples to taste and try mm. Uh, uh, that is really always a bit of a discovery thing. The only two things that rotate are uh, 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 the 0.0 and, uh, and the Blauer Spills. Mm. So, uh, that was the question, right? No, that was the question. Yeah, I just wanted to name some uh, name some brewers. That was all. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, the guys from Butcher's Tears on and we had a fantastic show. And we were talking a lot about the difference between uh, modern brewing and uh, traditional brewing. And they were actually saying how there's not really uh, it's how you view it. It's how you place yourself. Do you think there's a difference in between modern and traditional styles of brewing? That That's a difficult question to answer. First of all, because I'm not a brewer. Yeah. Uh, and what I understand to be the difference between traditional and modern is uh, uh, total hazy area it's how would you phrase that uh personally i think that over the over the last century we've made so many technological advances um, uh, that have helped to increase there comes the keyword again uh, mm. the quality of beer in general uh <laughs> that if traditional means brewing beer like they did in 1840 yeah. i would strongly advise against it yeah, there have been much more rats uh, eating the malt bags, mate, than I think. 
plus we hadn't got the faintest clue what yeast was actually doing. Yeah. Uh, we we have discovered so many things. We have learned to control so many more things. We have learned to uh, investigate the molds, whether there were rats in there or not, uh, uh, way better than we were able even a hundred years ago. I'm 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 still keen to find, for example, how Heineken tasted uh, uh, back in 1876 when they won their gold medal, <laughs> uh, as compared to today. I, <laughs> I think it will be a totally unrecognizable beer. Yeah. With no expectation whether it would be better or worse, yeah, uh, it would definitely be different. Mm. And uh, but again, what is traditional? Yeah, I think this, this is a really is, difficult question. This, yeah, this is this is kind of what came up in, in the show when we had. They were very much questioning this because I I actually said it to them. I see that they're a brewery that maybe adheres a bit more to traditional brewing. I think it's just because they seem to uh, focus a lot on. Uh, old English style IPAs and things. And then I just started talking about traditional brewing styles versus maybe a, a modern brewery in the craft beer scene that do a lot of hazy, juicy IPAs with a really big full flavors. I was wondering if, if you see a differentiation there. Um, I think it is definitely one of the biggest achievements uh, and one of the best results to come out of what we now call the beer revolution that mm. people are actually willing to experiment and just for the sake of the experiment. Yeah. And if something uh, uh, good comes out of it, hoorah. Yeah, exactly. Um, whether or not that is fundamentally different from uh, how they would traditionally approach it, I don't think so, because people should always try and improve on their product. And I believe people did that hundreds of years ago as well. Mm. But it's, it's, a, it's a difficult topic, and, and maybe I'm not uh, responding to the to the proper... Uh, uh, ID here. Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a beercation in Bavaria. Uh, one oh, of yeah. the areas I started to walk this. around was in, in the Oberpfalz, where you still have these Zeugel breweries, which is a communal brew house. Mm. Uh, uh, people have been brewing bottom fermenting beer, classic lagers, for literally 600 years. Mm. They only realize it's bottom fermenting uh, uh, for not even more than 100 years now. Mm. How traditional can it be? Uh, but I would, I would definitely not see uh, a butcher's tears brewer go there and brew a beer like that and call it a modern brew. Whereas if they would do the same stuff here in Amsterdam, it would be considered totally revolutionary. Mm. And I would actually like to see them do that. What do you mean? F F. Brewers from that region come to Amsterdam, or as having a brewery from Amsterdam, thinking, okay, these soygels that I had uh, over there, that's some, that's what I'm going to focus on, or put a communal I, brew house in Amsterdam where that, everybody that, that, can no, that, that's, that's that's a whole different ball so game. If, if, if someone <laughs> if someone would start to brew those simple classic bottom fermenting beers, yeah, beautiful in their simplicity, yeah, totally quaffable and uh, uh, and 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 not difficult to make because there is no achievement there for extreme flavors, but consistently hitting those beers where you cannot hide behind any flavor additive that you use. Uh, uh, every fault, every mistake that you make will shine through and consistently brew beers like that. I would sit there every day. Yeah. 
Yeah, I met you at the uh, Beerstad Lagerhaus on the other side of yeah. the globe in Denver, Colorado. Absolutely. And mm. uh, there is a brewery that has a German brew house, uh, German style mm. tanks and yeah. horizontal lager tanks. And they brag about how long they lager their beer and how proud they are of that and uh, how strictly in a German fashion they produce beer. And, and it's really good. And mm. uh, we were there for the Craft Brewers Conference and it's the one of the most popular brewers hangouts uh, of that event because yeah. a lot of people recognize them uh, for it. And yeah, I, I agree with Rick. I would, uh, I would be super happy to see somebody pulling that off here in Amsterdam. And they excel in Pilsner. But yeah. even if you uh, leave that and go one step back to the predecessors of Pilsner and go back to the lagers or the Helles Bieren. Uh, they also do that, huh? Helles, Dunkles, Bok. Yeah, but their Pilsner is yeah. definitely what, what pulls the crowd. For, yeah, uh, yeah. Plus they have this great addition of the slow pour serving yeah. method. They yeah. serve it in the classic German way. They leave it mm. there sitting for five minutes and mm. then give it another two shots to push the CO2 out. Mm. Um It has a function, but it is really the same marketing giggle as you mm. get with Guinness. Uh, but it pulls a crowd. And at the end of the day, the, the result is just fucking beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's that's been celebrated more and more, I see, in the, maybe the craft beer movement. And I would say that's maybe a traditional way of uh, traditional beer style, right? Hellas and all these things. They're, they're kind of coming around and a bit more celebrated amongst our beer peers, I would say. Like... Like the same with Keller beer styles, we just yeah. drank a best bitter and things like that. It's coming around again, I think. Yeah, and I think also, if I may, but the um, nowadays everything is available to us. Huh? So yeah. years of brewing True. tradition and beer historians digging up anything and um, still Lambic brewers that are around that are doing what they've been doing for a hundred years and they're still around and they... Mm can show you pictures, okay, this is how we've done it in the past, this is how exactly how we do it nowadays. And in Germany, it's the same, breweries centuries old, literally. And um, so all that is available to any person that homebrewed five beers and thinks, okay, I'm going to start a brewery. Everything is available. And I think it's also a bit of a result of the American craft beer movement where a lot of these breweries, uh, and I think of uh, Dogfish Head, for, that's um, for me one of the most famous examples, that they really got a lot of inspiration from these old historic regional styles, whether it was this um, chicha from uh, Mexico, mm -hmm. where the whole brewery was uh, chewing on oh, corn, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then making it into beer, or, or flying to Egypt to, to capture wild yeasts and uh, ferment bread with it into this really prehistoric beer style or, mm. or, or beverage that was mm. uh, possibly produced there. And, and, but, but yeah, doing that with their own vision and their own idea and their own, uh, yeah, creating their own take on it. And, and I think that's, that's, that's relatively new. And that I think all that being available, it also could be difficult for a brewer nowadays to, to, to choose. Okay. This, this is going to be me. This is my direction or signature. And maybe, That's also why it can go all over the place. And, and uh, Rick and, and, and me maybe also are missing really focused breweries. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. Whether it's traditional or whether it's just the modern hype uh, mm -hmm. following whatever uh, anybody else is doing and, and seems to catch on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, yeah. There's a lot to say about this. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, uh... I feel like it's I feel like it's a bit lost, really, because I think I've, we've thrown we've questioned both these terms: what is modern brewing, what is traditional brewing, and I guess it's a bit of a strange segue now into my next question, which 
I want to talk a little bit about craft beer, but maybe what I mean about it is I want to talk a bit more about the local scene that we've got going on here a bit. But craft beer is bigger than ever, we'll say. This week, uh, last week, there was the opening of the beer uh, exhibition at the Amsterdam Museum, which I know you're both present at. I've not been there myself yet. But growth and popularity of craft beer breweries within Amsterdam is is yeah, it's massive kind of thing. Paul Brower was saying that there's over 40 uh, licensed breweries in Amsterdam now, I think which is just a bit crazy. I'm curious how you view this, Rick. Is it is it a good thing that there's this many brewers within Amsterdam? Generally, it's it's brilliant. Yeah. Because the more variety there is, the more distinguished distinguished beers can be produced, the better I believe the world is if people have more options. Mhm. Uh, let's be honest, though, uh, I think it's over 50 licensed beer oh, is it? producing companies, but there are definitely not 40 licensed breweries in Amsterdam right, okay. who have their own kettles. I'm glad you're here to fact check me. <laughs> um, uh, I actually, I'm not too sure because things change literally on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, but I believe we have still not surpassed the historical high of having 21 actual breweries op- in operation in Amsterdam. Mm. Um it's just a side mark, but I, I, I feel more strongly uh, by the day about making a distinction between brewers who actually brew themselves in their own kettles mm-hmm. and what I tend to call laptop breweries who just contract out and think about a great concept, sometimes a great recipe, by the way. It's not that they are producing bad beer or anything. Mm. Um, but coming back to your question, it's awesome that we have yeah. this variety around. Uh, mainly because I believe it is great that people have started to think again about flavor as such. Yeah. yeah. And th- that they have enabled thereby a lot of entrepreneurs to start producing different sorts of beer, um, uh, trying to find their niche sometimes. Beautiful. Um, the fact that we now have more variety and more people thinking about the whole concept of flavor in beer that's the biggest achievement of the whole uh, last 20 years. Hmm. And is it still um, a really positive environment? I know when we had the the founders on the show, they were talking about the good old days, shall we say, uh, where um, they were saying everyone was co- uh, like collaborating, helping each other out. Every, it was just one big happy community. Now you, you see it from maybe a, a step back where you kind of go when you can uh, see in between different breweries. Is it still a positive environment all, with all these breweries in Amsterdam? I I, I definitely think so. Yeah. Uh, it, it has become a little bit more realistic that in the end of the day, you have to realize that you are competitors. Yeah, exactly. But you can be competitors in many different ways. You can hate each other's guts and try to uh, fuck each other over all the time. That has not happened. Uh, and, no. and I don't think it will ever happen in any beer culture. Mm. Uh, uh, your your great uh, uh, hero Sam Calajona actually phrased it beautifully uh, one of the best things about the brewing industry wherever you are in the world is that it is mm. almost 100% asshole free mm. so the spirit of collaboration may be overestimated in, in, in many ways but the fact that brewers will support each other and share knowledge I think that is definitely one of the most distinguished features about the brewing industry, particularly in in the Netherlands and maybe even particularly so in in Amsterdam. But Sander can talk much more about that because he is a brewer and I'm not. I'm I'm an observer on the sideline. (laughs) Sander? 
Nah, I think it's very much a lifestyle. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I get calls from fellow brewers. Hey, I'm missing this uh, part for uh, this adapter for my tank to this new pump I installed. Do you have some? And vice versa, or bigger malt, or pellet of bottles, and uh, bigger hops. It all goes uh, from here to there and back. And uh, I think that's all still helping out. I think the collaborative spirit is very much alive these days still. I think we consciously took a step back from that or to, to, to focus a bit more on what we do ourselves. And also because we, we found also that sometimes it, it can lead into a bit of a sh more shallow product. doesn't get the intention that it actually deserves because, uh, yeah, all, all these breweries are very busy mm. uh, growing, uh, pushing their, uh, their own beers, their core beers, having full attention and then... This collaboration often comes some, uh, something next to it and doesn't always, uh, there are definitely uh, uh, exceptions, but doesn't always get the attention that it deserves. And we thought, okay, let's scale it down and not just have every any opportunity when a brewer from the uh, the, the, the biggest sweethearts, you know, that are all around in this uh, this industry come over for a beer festival and uh, write an email, hey, I'm in town, uh, shall we brew? And then mm. decide, okay, let's, let's do it because we love those guys. And... Um, we still love those guys, but it doesn't always make sense to to make a beer, or it doesn't always result in the best mm. best product. I think so. Yeah, I, I think the, the, this this collaborative spirit is, is it's still very much alive, and helping each other out is still very much going on. Um, yeah, and I think it's more of a, of a, of a, of a commercial discussion where people are in their way. I think maybe salespeople. Uh, would have a different opinion if, if one representative comes out the bar and uh, just uh, signed a deal with a bar owner and uh, you're coming in after, then uh, mm. yeah, that might be a difficult conversation you have to have then with, yeah, shit, I'm not going to buy your beer. But yeah, I don't know. I think all in all, uh, over the past years, we've all been uh creating new flavors creating new beers trying to convince a new audience and and convince bar owners into okay let's let's try this you know let's try mm. this new beer and and growing the whole s section of craft beer yeah i think that's that's a, that's an extremely important remark to make because let's face it we may have whether it's over 40 or over 50 uh beer producing and selling companies in in amsterdam now it's 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 approaching 800 in the netherlands at the moment wow um Reality still is that out of 100 beers consumed, 85 are still a pilsner by one of the four biggest breweries in the Netherlands. Yeah. So reality still is that uh, if you stop 20 consumers in the street and ask them, do you know Mannerliefde? They will probably think that you mean something completely different than this great saison that started the whole Oedipus story. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is that uh, we still need to realize very much that we are building a category, that we are still building awareness with uh, a vast, totally blank group of consumers out there who we still need to convince mm. and try to entice to try something else than they would normally consume. And uh, um, I'm actually not completely convinced that that is what all breweries are focusing at, trying to together, back to back, shoulder to shoulder, still fight this prim primary fight, uh, building the building the, the category, and then focus on your individual brand. Yeah, that might it might be right. 
I think we've we've seen that. I think it's one of the reasons that we wanted to start to change the beer landscape and not just having our beers. Mm. And I think that's also what uh, what what you know we uh, I, I if a beer is good, you know, it mm. should have a place. And sure. I think it's about the uh, opening eyes to 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 this the, and 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 taking people by the hand and take them along a journey that that uh, me myself I went mm. on and and the other founders that's what we thought about and wouldn't that be great and, and we can't do it ourselves I don't mm. know and uh, but also we need not, the others let's also not forget what you said a couple of years ago uh, uh, and and not to stick feathers in the oedipus ass but uh, you've always tried to help fellow brewers for example by the homebrewing uh, uh, festival that you do giving advice to people on uh, how they can improve on their beer because you yourselves when you started only 10 years ago didn't have much people around to uh, bounce ideas off and and learn from there were a few and you yeah. definitely got help in those days but uh, one of the things you you guys all felt a bit of a responsibility for is to help people get better beer mm. into the market yeah yeah and, and and it's 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 bigger than just beer it's it's a, the whole movement and, and yeah. everything we wanted to uh connect uh, with and uh, but it is yeah. remarkable that not many other breweries in amsterdam have or at least not so vocally adopted that openness towards their colleagues i'm definitely now doing injustice to for example Verkok and the Praal. yeah uh, uh, he's living. We wouldn't be without. Uh, we wouldn't be anywhere without. And, and and that applies to a lot more of more people. But those you are the two exceptions. I, I would dare to say the Prowl and Oedipus uh, um, have always embraced their comrades in the battle to to share your knowledge with. Or am I exaggerating? Well, yeah, maybe. And I think it's also, yeah. It, it it happens, you know, maybe more on the sidelines or not so out in the open or not so uh, much as, as as we do maybe with the festivals and everything. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's it's also in these collaborations that all these breweries do in and around Amsterdam. They yeah, you you exchange knowledge, you know, with your peers and uh, colleagues, but also. The guys that you're that the sales team is fighting for tabs with, you know. Um, so I think it still happens. It's very much a yeah connected to to craft beer and the collaborative spirit. Mm. Um, but um, what was I going to say? While you try to remember what you were going to say, I I would like to bring to the table the idea that it is. Uh, an essential part of brewing, uh, uh, of beer as a product. Let's not forget that beer is the oldest man-made alcoholic beverage around. We've been yeah. making it for around 13,000 years or so. Yeah. Uh, and since the moment of its conception, it has been bringing people together, mm. whether they were consumers or they were uh, brewers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but particularly now, 13,000 years down the road, we still find that we need to help each other preferably around the beer. We're going to take a quick break from our conversation with Sandra and Rick to call Rick Stringer. Rick is an old colleague and friend. I met Rick as he was the bar manager of a bar we worked at in Manchester. He went on to work for Schindiger Bruco. He's now located in Madrid, teaching and also working on some beer-related projects. Let's find out what's in his fridge. 
Danny Walker. Rick Stringer, how you doing, man? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. It's good to hear your voice. Yeah, likewise. In it, in it. Are you ready to talk about your fridge? Yeah, 100%. Beers in my fridge at the moment. I have Brower Cake. Oh. A Dutch one. A Dutch one. A Dutch lad. A nice one. Sitting next to the pickles. (laughs) Basically, I went to, I mean, we spoke before. I drank all the beers I had in the fridge. Did Did a sort of fortnightly beer run. And it's it's quite hard here at the moment because everything's restarting again. Yeah. So obviously the the, the places are quite niche. You know, there's a few nothing about in the markets. It's not nearly as popular here as it is in in sort of northern Europe and, and Italy. So you really have to go and find it. Um, the market, the one that it, it's a great place. It's called the Good Pint in Buena Pinta, and it's a sort of bottle shop bar in a market. Nice. Everything they had in their fridge was. Old pre-corona nonsense. I mean, I half expected it because they obviously haven't been open for long. So it's it's like they've probably got a lot they need to shift. It all happens quickly here, you know, it's a matter of weeks. Um, You know, from roaring business to absolutely nothing. Um, But anyway, that was one of the fresh ones. So clearly someone at Brower Eye Case has been busy uh, shifting the business. Shout out to the export manager at Brower Eye Case. (laughs) Which one is it? Which one is it from Brower Eye Case? Which beer? Sarah Sarah. Sarah Sarah. Which I think is Spanish. What will be, will be. Pretty relevant, I guess. Exactly, yeah. Double Dry Hops IPA. Double Dry Hops IPA. Nice. I haven't sunk into it yet. Okay. Double dry hop IPAs are a weird one for me. It's weird because it's like if you if you hop a beer once and then later you decide to double that amount and put it in again while it's sort of cold fermenting. But I feel like a lot of these styles, double dry hop, it seems like a bit of a marketing thing because if you, if you don't dry hop at all, how can you put in double of something you haven't done? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what else is in there, Rick? Right, I've got uh, two Basque out. Yeah, basically because of the the lack of freshness okay. of any beer, I just had to go out, even though it's thirty six degrees. <laughs> Counterintuitive. <laughs> they've got a longer life. And Basqueland, I, I think they do some unbelievable stuff. The first Spanish that beer I had was a beer of theirs called Layer Cake, and it's really, really good. Cool. So I thought I'd go for them. There's one allergic collab called. Got chunk, which is a uh, pastry stout. Okay. All the all the usual usual bells on that. Yeah, Cookies, yeah, yeah. vanilla, coconut, all of that. And then the other one is salted caramel mocha stout, which sounds amazing. Twelve percent. It's probably going to be like custard. Albeit they sound really, really interesting. The fact that it's yeah. in 32 degree heat is just uh, that <laughs> doesn't sound appetising. But like you said, maybe you can wait until you get a rainy day because they've got the shelf life. Or make it into ice cream. See what happens. <laughs> Not a bad shout, to be honest, mate. Not a bad shout. You told me in a in a previous conversation that you had some lagar in your fridge. What beer have you got by them? Voodoo. Voodoo. Yeah, that was a fresh run as well. Obviously, it's a basket. It's an IPA, 6%. Nice. Mosaic and Centennial. Mosaic's my favourite hop. And nice. down. I think it's incredible. It should be a winner. Ah, nice. It should be a winner. Are there many other craft breweries? I know Lagar, and, and and that's kind of it for me in Madrid or that area. What other breweries oh, are there? I mean, Madrid's got La Virgen, the Virgin, which is has been brought out by 
I don't know who it is, maybe Heineken, Carlsberg mm-hmm. or someone. So they're absolutely everywhere and they've got a sort of Camden-style monopoly on the place, which right. is pretty annoying. There is a, a tiny little one called La Osita, which is the little bear, and they're a contract brewer and they've got a lovely little bar in, in the city centre. That's actually an English guy. Ah, cool. A Spanish guy who's collaborated. So they're finding their feet. They had a Mosaic single hop IPA, which was really nice. The others are sort of, uh, I think they're having consistency issues. But yeah, I mean, there are things popping up. I just think now, after all this, I think they're struggling. Yeah, slow pick up. Things popping up again. One more question about your fridge, uh, Rick. How much would you say it has changed from moving countries from England to Spain? What has stayed and what has gone? That's a great question. Well, the mayonnaise has always stayed. <laughs> the Dutch and me would probably take that <laughs> Less shindiger. <laughs> a lot less shindiger. Ah, nice. <laughs> I was always quite a, a continental eater, I guess. In, I'm trying to think if there's anything typically English that I haven't got in there. There's no jam in there. No. But there's also no chorizo. So, like, you know, the stereotypes are... There's some uh, chowda. The Dutch and there's some mayonnaise. The Dutch is staying true. Hasn't changed all that much then. Just still got your mayo and that's consistent. Uh, maybe the Spanish beers. That's probably it. Yeah, okay. Spanish nice. Beers. The beers are probably the biggest change, I'd say. There's a lot of mouths in my fridge normally rather than Schindiger and, and Stella. Hey, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you to it. I'm going to uh, let you get back to your beautiful hot day. Thank you very much. Lovely. Nice one. All right. Lovely Let's speaking to you, Danny. All right. Look after yourself. And a special thanks to Rick. Great catching up with him. You can find some of those breweries he spoke about in the show notes. If you would like to chat about what's in your fridge, get in contact with me via the address radio at udipus.com. All right, let's get back to the conversation with Rick and Sander. All in all, like just just to summarise, the Amsterdam, it has been good for the Amsterdam beer scene. People's tastes, they're getting more adventurous when it comes to beer. And I'm interested to get your perspective on the kind of horrorca and how that's developed, Rick, because it's now you don't really need to seek out craft beer. There's, many bars have uh, Oedipus or another uh, local craft brewery uh, beer in their fridge, which is which is great. I was wondering how... How customers' habits has changed? Do you see that more people are receptive towards craft beer, or how has that developed recently? Absolutely, and let's not forget that Horeca has definitely not been a trend builder, if you wish, but a trend follower in this segment. Some some great bars who have been serving a f- larger variety of beer uh, before we were even discussing uh, the whole craft beer revolution thing. Yeah but it is definitely consumers who have uh, inspired a lot of bar owners to install more taps and have a larger offering than they would do before. Yeah. I think it is actually part of a larger consumer change uh, that we've seen over the past 20 years. Uh, I mentioned before rediscovery, revaluation, if you wish, of flavor as such. Uh, I, I always look to tie it into the slow food revolution where people have rediscovered the fact that tomatoes can actually taste like tomatoes Mm. uh, uh, and that it actually does matter whether uh, the steak you are flinging on the barbecue is from a cow that has spent a good life in a meadow rather than being boxed up in some nondescript building in southwest Brabant Mm. uh, that it actually 
means something for the product that you are going to get and the pleasure you are going to get out of it. The, the change in Amsterdam in the offering of beer in bars is the direct result of changed consumer views by a very select group of consumers. Mm. And it is spreading a bit like an oil... How do you say that in, in English? Uh, an oil spill. Oh, oh, yeah. As simple as that. Yeah. <laughs> oily fleck. An oily fleck, an oil spill. It, 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 I believe the whole thing in the end of the day boils down to being more aware and more responsible consumers. Yeah. And that's also the reason why it was consumers who made Horeca change and change their attitude towards that offering because they, it is not a natural thing as an entrepreneur to uh, uh, start that kind of a revolution because it involves higher prices, it involves more complex operations. But if your consumers demand, you will have to follow. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and apart from slow food or more honest production, I think locality and, and supporting a local producer might also play a role. Yeah, but would it be uh, an origin or a result? Yeah, good question. I think it is actually more a result if you start to think about flavor, and then the next step is where is it actually coming from? And the moment you start questioning where is it coming from, you also start to think about why does my meat have to come from New Zealand? Why? Why does my beer have to come from America? I mean, even from my perspective, working with a beer import company, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, we we now realize that it is not making a huge amount of sense to transport vast quantities of aromatized water halfway mm. across the globe unless they really bring something to the consumer that you cannot find locally. Mm. It, it is, by the way, for American craft brewers, the biggest deception they, they have ever had. They were growing like 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 crazy, all focusing on exports until they realized that by spreading the word and spreading their beer gospel, they've inspired so many other producers around the globe uh, who had one massive advantage over mm. them, particularly when it comes to IPAs and its freshness. Mm. I think it harks back to one of the first questions. People are starting to care more about uh, quality of what uh, they consume. So... Yeah, yeah, but it also means general uh, uh, general increase in knowledge. Yeah, when we were making our first imports of IPAs, some of those IPAs were actually expiring, uh, inspiring Sander and Rick and Paul and uh, Alex later on in Beer Temple. Um, we didn't really realize the 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 fact that it was important to have certain hops in that beer, and you couldn't have those beers on the shelf for more than three months. We had grown up in the European tradition thinking that the more hops you put into the beer, the longer lasting the beer will be, not even thinking about the aroma concept. Mm. So we actually built a point to when we made our first pitch at the uh, uh, American uh, Beer Festival uh, for the group of interested breweries who wanted to make exports to Europe. Said, no, you have to put 24 months best before date on your beer because otherwise we can't sell it. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but they, they rotate within 160 days here in America. Don't be ridiculous. There is there's more hops in that beer. You could actually uh, put a mammoth to sleep with the amount of hop in that beer. You don't have to worry about the beer going off. We didn't. We hadn't had got the faintest clue about the freshness wow. value of aroma. It also took us a couple of years to realize that. And, and you will remember the same thing. Uh, if you drank a Snake Dog IPA in 2009, you would think, oh, 
it can't get any better than this. Yep, yeah. it could. Yeah. I had that also uh, with uh, actually Titan IPA, yeah. drinking it for years in the beer temple and then also visited the brewery in Denver. Uh, it, that's in that's a, a shockwave, isn't it? That is a shockwave. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, particularly with Great Divide. I mean, they do their fresh hop IPA. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. they literally brew with, with uh, hops harvested within 48 hours and then put the wet hops into the kettle. Uh, uh, that is probably one of the best beers I've had in my life. Mm. nice alright well I'm mm. going to move the conversation forward a little bit um, because I want to talk a bit more about how you got involved with uh, beer as your career choice let's say um, how did you first get involved with working within beer do you have a beer background were you working in Horeca how did it all begin it started in Horeca yeah, yeah. Uh, um, classic thing I, uh, as a student I had a side job in my favourite bar Um that was actually the first time I realized that beer was something that you needed to take seriously because the landlord there, Teun van Veen from the Engelse Day, the Pilsner Club in uh, in Amsterdam, actually took it upon himself for one and a half days to teach me to pour the perfect Pilsner because mm-hmm. that really mattered in that bar. And still, I recommend everyone to go to that place and have a Heineken there because it's the only place in the world where you have a really decent Heineken fresh from a big cold room before it even mattered to people. He had it. Mm. Also, uh, what uh, Willem agrees on, eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but that, for me, was the discovery of beer as such. And for a long time, I made the classic mistake of combining Pilsner uh, as being synonymous for beer. Yeah. Um, by the way, when I started to work there in 1987, uh, I think the offerings of beer were, were fivefold, uh, four different sizes of Heineken and Westmaller Triple, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous if you look back on how quickly that has changed. Uh, for me, it meant that after uh, uh, working for 10 years uh, in bars in Amsterdam, I sought a career change, but I didn't really want to leave the pleasant atmosphere of working with people in Horeca. Mm. But coming from the other side, they were looking for someone at Beer & Co. To, to help them out with stuff, do some sales and stuff. And that's mm. how I ended up there. But I never really realized what Beer & Co. was about before I started to work there. Mm. And then what I mentioned earlier, uh, seeing my colleagues, my workers in the, in the, in the, in the warehouse drink beer with cups, Tiwilo, 6.5% blonde beer that actually had flavor. How can you do this after a hard day's work? That, that snapped my mind. Yeah, do you think it's the environment that makes you uh, kind of fall in love with it a little bit? This kind of, uh, yeah, just this community feel, let's say? I haven't got a clue. For me, it was actually the realization that there was so much more possible with beer than I knew before, and that essentially all of those beers were made with only four ingredients, water, hops, malts, and yeast. And yeah. only then I started to realize there was so much more to know and to discover about this product than being at Beer & Co. then uh, was a great playground. Our warehouse had like 1,100 different beers. Uh, and I started to taste them all because you need to know what you sell. Uh, and then I also wanted to know why they were tasting different and w- why they were brown or blonde or hazy or not. And that's what, what sparked my my interest in beer. Mm. Uh, I guess everyone will have their own uh, uh, moment of epiphany uh, mm. why they fall in love with beer. Uh, uh, I know that you had your epiphany moment at Beer Temple about the whole hobby side of beer, but before you were also interested in beer, Sander. But I'm not sure when your interest in beer happened. Well, th- th- I think it's 
um, so I was interested in more than just the cheapest beer when I uh, turned 16, which is which was legal dr- legal drinking age in the Netherlands. And I had a friend. We visited the Slijterij and uh, our liquor store, and we bought whatever bottle of beer that we didn't know yet. And uh, when we were in other cities, we we sought out bars that had a, a promising beer selection. And uh, I didn't grow up in Amsterdam, but near Leiden, actually. And uh, when I moved to Amsterdam, I went to beer bars and uh, like uh, Gollum, like Aansnes, Wildeman. Um, but always, I, I also got fed up with beer because I thought I knew it, you know. I thought I knew the flavors. I, I had Witkop Stimulo, Westmalle, I had a Kriek, I had a Stout, but probably not the greatest examples of 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 the 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 all the beer styles that are around. I remember having a creek b- really back in the day and, and thought, wow, this is so sweet, so artificially flavored. Mm. And it wasn't one of a great producer. I'm not sure which one it was actually, but yeah, it was only later that I've, I I came across these these more traditional and, and dry and more, more sour uh, varieties that I thoroughly enjoy nowadays. So yeah, actually I got fed up with beer and then... Got more interested in wine and and coffee and whiskey and chocolate and I think this coincided a bit with this slow food uh, movement yeah. where people start thinking more about what they consume and and where it's from and what it tastes like and yeah and, and when I got fed up with beer and moved to that and then I came to the beer temple and then whoa there's so much more in beer that I never knew there was. Mm. Uh, this is something I got lost in, and I also really recognize what you say about what I, I, I was. I, I turned. Uh, I also became a bartender there, and I really wanted to know everything there was to know about it. And and because I was, I was considered there the expert who was uh, representing this thirty beer draft list. And I should, if anybody should know what what the beer on top would be about, uh, it, it would would be me uh, mm-hmm. if I would be working there. So. I was very eager to dive into this and read and 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 talk with everybody that was there and and uh, gather as much knowledge uh, about it and yeah that led into uh, starting our own brewery and and becoming a brewer. In the end of the day, it is remarkable that for uh, the oldest man-made alcoholic beverages and the largest produced and consumed beverages on the world, we know so little about it. That was one of the things that sparked me uh, uh, back in those early days at Beer Co. I I haven't got a clue why these beers are different, and no one is making any remarks about it. Brewers for in those years, particularly, were not making any conversation about why their beer tasted the way it did. They didn't speak about flavor at all. No, there was no podcasts back then. To talk about flavor. No, and there was uh, less focus on <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. on flavor. It didn't yeah, matter. Yeah, it didn't yeah, matter. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the fact that 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 I am now here uh, sitting wearing my beer ambassador shirt, <laughs> that was would be completely unthinkable. And it's yeah. only twenty years down the line, right? Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous, but uh, um, uh, it's also one of the reasons I'm so happy with the fact that I'm wearing this shirt because, in the end of the day, what you know is if people understand better why beers taste the way they do and why their personal flavor is towards this beer or that beer, this burger or that burger, this vegetable or that vegetable, that they really only then start to thoroughly enjoy what they are consuming. Mm-hmm. And it raises the appreciation. It raises the uh, uh, um, respect also for the people who make all these things. 
and I believe it is imperative we continue to focus on education uh, uh, in a preferably in a, in, a, in a nice way without being too nerdy about it or too scientific about it, uh, but help people understand better why they drink and eat what they do and whatever, what other choices they could make with, that, with their preference. Mm. Totally different away from the from the subject, haven't we? No, it's fine. It's Beautiful. fine. It's fine. <laughs> but I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> it's cool. So you mentioned earlier about uh, your holiday, your recent holiday, that which you told me on the phone as well when we were when we were chatting. Uh, you went to Germany, and you you seem like you're a big fan of those German style of beers. Is this always a thing when you travel? You you uh, link in beer trips? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, beer is always there. I'm not yeah. necessarily drinking 24-7, but beer is 24-7 on my mind. Yeah. What are some of those other favorite locations? Limiting myself to Amsterdam. There are a couple of places where I love to go. Beerproof Lokal in the Wildeman. That's, <laughs> that, that's my clubhouse. Nice, that's, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I was literally crying like a child on June 1st when it was open again. Mm. Um, beer Temple, however much... As I don't come there that often, that still has a huge soft spot uh, because it played such a hugely important role in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Fooders for the fact that they have focused on uh, uh, classic Belgian beer styles mm. um, and because the owner is a total nutcase that you <laughs> really uh, love to hate and vice versa. <laughs> uh, but a beautiful place. But, but at the same time, you know... Uh, uh, a classic bar like um, uh, uh, the Sterre van Klaver or Martelaars Graag, where you can just hang at the bar and knock back some some mm. Amstel Pilsners. I love that just as much. No, I mean I mean more when you travel because it's come up. Oh, maybe no, no, it's okay, it's fine. I mean, like you've just named three of the best bars in Amsterdam, so it's cool. Four, uh, four, four. four. But I'm, uh, what I mean is like uh, just referencing some some of the other shows. We were speaking to a baker who was like, "Yeah, I love the bread uh, in Germany." And also Franconia. Franconia, yeah. <laughs> so there was a lot to talk about there. But I was wondering some of those other places um, maybe you've traveled to that you were like, yeah, they've got breathtaking beer. Well, one step back for me, the biggest joy is always in discovering something new. Exactly. So, yeah. and, 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 and that's one of the great things about beer. Wherever you are on the globe, you will find something special for the region you're in. Mm. Um, a lot of the craft brewers may be co- copycatting them themselves globally in terms of styles and battle aging and IPA and blah, 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 blah. But they will always do it with a bit of a local twist. Mm-hmm. That is great. Some places where I will advise everyone to go, is that where, you, which, where you're going at? No, it's just, it's just, it's just uh, I want you to name some places where you were like, yeah, they have really good beer. But it's, anywhere, it's wherever it goes. Anywhere in Bavaria, you will be very happy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, with definitely some focus points, uh, uh, that area around Wienisch Eschenbach, where you will find this cycle tradition that is literally breathtaking. It's also pretty close to the Czech Republic border. Yeah. Just hop around. Uh, uh, You're and, and in Pilsen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is definitely not a punishment either. No. Uh, uh, but anywhere in Franconia, you will find some great brews. It was the first time for me, by the way, discovering Bamberg and, mm. and actually having firsthand experience with Rauchbier. Uh, beautiful discovery, but uh, go to Manchester, go to Liverpool, uh, go to London. Even mm. I'm go wrong. Really. I exactly. think that is the biggest, the biggest gain. One of the biggest gains of the last uh, uh, thirty years. You can't really go wrong anymore. No, go to Norway, discover Quake. It's beautiful. Yeah, 
go to Italy and discover grape ale. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think uh, just immersing yourself in that different culture, you will discover something new and interesting. Uh, or it spells spend, to yourself. Spend, spend a week in Berlin. You know, it's... Yeah, exactly. Do you take time away from beer at all? Or is no, it... why? <laughs> good response. <laughs> good response. Um, yeah, good response. That, <laughs> that was very that was quick. Seriously, but why would you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're right. All right, Rick, you've brought me to the end of the questions. Uh, thank you very much for sitting here and answering the questions. That was very, very good. Um, but we still have the quiz. Are you ready for oh this? Oh, my God, the quiz. Yeah. All right, it's really that. already gone that quickly. It has, yeah. Time wow. has flown. If I let it go, if I let it go on any further, then uh, we'll we'll be here till uh, September. But here's the quiz. All right. Okay. I always apply a theme to the quiz, and this week's quiz is uh, obviously themed around beer, since you are the beer professional and connoisseur. So this is how the quiz goes this week. According to Untapped. I want to test how well you know uh, breweries from around the world. But that's, so, a, that's a ridiculous quiz. So, on, uh, yeah, so on, according to Untapped, each brewery has an average rating. And we'll start with one brewery, and then I'll ask you wh- whether the next one is higher or lower. And then there's 10 questions, and then you have a chance to win yourself a place on the leaderboard. <laughs> okay? So that's let's test your pain, knowledge That's going to be a bit. painful exercise, but hit it. You're it still always a moderator is. on the Untapped? I'm still, yeah, but I'm not that active anymore. Uh, okay, okay. All right, so uh, Oedipus has 3.46. Does the French brewery Gallia, is that higher or lower than 3.46? Lower. Correct. It is lower by one, 3.45. One hundredth. One hundredth. Well played. Okay. Uh, number two, Weinstefan. Definitely brewery. higher. Correct. So it's higher than the previous one. Eh? Pre- yeah, than yeah, the yeah, previous yeah. one, yeah. Uh, yeah, correct. 3.73. That's high. Yeah, that is, that is high. Three, Stone Brewing, you were saying? Classic. One of the pioneers of the game. Higher than 3.73. Or lower than one of the oldest high, breweries high, in the world. Higher than Wine Stefan. Yeah, I'm afraid so. I'm afraid it's higher than Wine Stefan. You are correct. Well played. 3.9. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> I mean, we import them and they make some great beers, but. No, I'm not going to comment any further. Okay, all right. Number four, local boys, Alcha, higher or lower than Stone Brewing? Lower. Correct, it's 3.63. Uh, That's higher than Oedipus then. Yep. Remarkable. Yeah. Yes, it is. I uh, mean, both are great breweries, by the way. Let's make no mistake about that. No, no, no. This is uh, just maybe a side note. This is no, uh, I don't think this is accurate to anything. This is why I enjoy doing this quiz. To untapped users. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, question number five Yeva, higher or lower than ah. Alcha? Three po- <laughs> the, just to remind you, Alcha was 3.63. Then I'm afraid Yeva will be rated lower than Alcha on average. Oh, Rick, you're doing very well. Correct. That is lower. It's 3.04. Quite really? low. Yeah. Very low. Unbelievable. I'm a big fan of Vieva. Good pills. Number six, Browery Special in Bamberg. They're definitely higher than Vieva then. Of course, yeah. It's pretty low score from Vieva, so correct. Higher, 3.65. Number seven, everyone's uh, good friends or favorite, shall we say, Anchor Brewing Company in San Francisco, USA. Higher or lower? Again, I'm afraid they will be rated way much lower than Special. 
Correct. Well played. Yeah. 3.52. Flawless. Well yeah. done. Okay. Uh, question number eight. Mikola. Higher, of course. Correct. Correct. This is going very well for you. <laughs> you shouldn't have been scared. Mikola was scored 3.72. And it's higher than almost all breweries so far. But from Stone. Apart from Stone. And Vine Stefan. And the only one so far who doesn't actually really brew himself. Well, nowadays. Yeah, sure, yeah. Excuse brewery in Copenhagen. Beautiful. And Let's forget about and... this. <laughs> okay. Uh, question number nine. Uh, Wild Beerco. Are they higher or lower than Mikla? Lower. Correct. 3.65. He's doing very well. I'm not, I don't like this. I don't like it when they do well. <laughs> question Sorry, Danny. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> 10 out of 10. It's okay. Okay. No, no, no. We've got question yeah, number 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bernardus from Belgium. Are they higher or lower? Higher than Wild Beer. Correct. 3.85. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We have a 10 out of 10. Is that 10 that's, out that's, of 10? That's, that's beautiful, but it's really about understanding how untapped users work. Oh it has God. nothing to do with this how guy. the beers actually are. Well, I, I think... That's actually nice. 10 out of 10. Yeah, well yeah, done. Yeah. Well done. That was amazing. <laughs> that was really, really good. This... So 7 was the highest score thus far. Yeah. And, uh, but... I feel beaten. A, this is like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, <laughs> I we, can imagine. This yeah. is... A, I'm just knocked for six, though. It was... A, that was... A, nice. It was hard to... Well, well, well done. Well done. Well yeah. done. Well done. Um, I, I think just a disclaimer on one of the previous episodes of the podcast, I did say that there was a prize for 10 out of 10. I can't remember what it was <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't say... I must I, have missed that one. But I'll make sure you don't go home empty-handed. Well played. And just to finish off, thanks so much for uh, sitting with us and answering the questions. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you very much. My pleasure. And again, you know, let's not forget that this is exactly why beer is such a beautiful product. It exactly. will always bring people together. You, will, you are never finished talking about the good and bad things within beer and the people around it. Can I raise a toast? Yes. To, to, yeah, cool. To everyone enjoying beer, but particularly to the three of us exactly <laughs> all right i'll see you to that prost oh, prost all right charming guys thank you very much thanks for listening to another episode of radio Oedipus. thanks to sander and a huge thanks to rick kempen i'm still a bit shocked about that 10 out of 10 on the quiz like i said at the top of the show head to our website to find all episodes of the podcast as well as some great mixes by some of our favorite local djs keep an eye out for more upcoming activities over at oedipus.com forward slash radio you can also find the podcast by searching Radio Oedipus on most major podcast platforms. Get in contact with me, radio at oedipus.com. Music on today's show is written and composed by Ola I Music. And tune in next time for more explorations into the culture of beer. Beer.